This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Potodri for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on you Reds! It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 71 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I am your host for this week, Gavin J. Baxter, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Graham Steele. Graham, how is it going? Good, thank you. Yes, the supply teachers are back in action with all the authority of, well, a modern-day SPFL referee, really. Now they're passing the buck to VAR with every decision. Gary is on his travels. He tells us he's away on, and I quote, work commitments. I don't know if that's code for the Sydney Cup to watch the boys in green. Graham, what do you think? I like the idea of just letting that rumour germinate. So we'll leave it at that. I'm just going to say it's a coincidence. Let's just say that. But in a week that saw Lewis Ferguson continue to flourish in Italy with his third goal in four Serie A games for Bologna amidst reported interest in the ex-Don star from the old lady Juventus. Please, God, let there be a substantial sell-on fee in that contract we signed off in the summer. That saw El Buffalo's reputation take a further battering after another insipid performance. And that saw Hearts and Hibs continue their mutual trend of doing what exactly? Falling apart. The boys enjoy division. Take it away. It's another busy week on the ABZFP as we take a look back at our 1-0 win over Dundee United on Saturday night as the football returned to Pataudry. We take a look back at all the news from AB24 this week. Spoiler alert, there is none. With no young team or women's fixtures this week, we take a quick look at our loanies and loan watch. And after the break, we bring you the latest in our line of interviews with ex-Dawns, personalities of past and present. As we bring you a super obscure one this time with a man who made the grand total of 10 appearances in red during a short loan spell in the 2000-2001 season. It's France's Synthetien's own Alex de Rocco. But first, Aberdeen won Dundee United nil Saturday 12th of November 2022. Pathology Stadium, the SPFL Premiership. Two changes to Jim Goodwin starting 11 after the first half horror show in West Lothian in midweek. Matty Kennedy and Hayden Coulson coming in with Jaden Richardson and Jack McKenzie dropping to the bench. Ryan Duncan and Jack Milne returning to the bench in place of Alfie Babbage and Dylan Lobbin. An opening period which saw Aberdeen dominate possession but failed to make any clear-cut opportunities until 30 minutes in. 
Kennedy blazing over from inside the box after a nice move ended with Clarkson teeing him up. Colson and Clarkson linked up well down the left-hand side on 28 minutes. Colson having the ball nipped off him just as he was looking to shoot before some nice play between Duke, Kennedy and Clarkson almost had the Dons in on the half-hour mark before United cleared again. The away side more than happy to sit in and try and hit the Dons on the counter-attack. But in fact, it was the reverse that happened and it brought the opening goal. The Dons breaking swiftly away after a United attack broke down. Miofsky doing well to gather the ball from within his own half, being a couple of challenges for feeding Duke, who was brought down by Birigetti. No question in the minds of Willie Collum or the VAR staff. The penalty stood, and it was very well dispatched by Miofsky, sending Birigetti the wrong way. The Dons should have doubled their lead on 43 minutes. Roos punting the ball long, and Duke did well to read Graham's inexplicable decision to duck out of a header. Duke getting in ahead of Birigetti, who was in all kinds of no man's land, but the Cape Verdeans' lobbed finish just drifted wide of the post. Halftime, 1-0, and the Dons well worth their lead. Into the second half, and the Dons started brightly. McCrory meeting a Kennedy corner at the near post, and his flick ending in the side netting. Clarkson's bending cross on 58 minutes looked destined for Mioski to head home before Graham got his head. Before Graham got there, just ahead of the Macedonian with another defensive header off the line. From McCrory's header from the resulting corner as the Dons looked to turn the screw. Fletcher should have done better on 66 minutes, getting on to Levitt's cross, but he was unable to turn his volley at the back post goalwards. United began to turn the tide with Sybold and Middleton replaced by Harks and Anaku, with McCrory forcing having to defend his box well from a Harks cross on 70 minutes before Fletcher's header was then straight at Roos. Ramadani with an effort from distance that was easily held by Birigetti, but United were up the other end shortly and Roos had to act sharply to stop a grim volley from just outside the box. Double switch from the Dons on 78 minutes. Coulson and Miofsky withdrawn for Mackenzie and Watkins. Kennedy should have sealed it for the Dons on 87 minutes. Breaking well from a United corner, Duke slipped in Kennedy, but from a tight angle on his weaker foot, the finish was high and wide. Duncan and Vinnie Bajawan on for Duke and Clarkson as Aberdeen saw out the two minutes of added time. Um, with results going our way elsewhere, the Dons finished this part of the season in third spot, two points clear of Livingston, eight points behind Sevco in second, four clear of Hearts and five clear of Hibs. United, they remain, well, I guess they would have taken their place back at the bottom of the league. They are now bottom. They're yes. on 12 with Killian 15. Of course, I forget that Kilmarnock were able to dispatch of Hibs off the back of their 4-0 pumping by United in midweek. So United bottom three points behind Kilmarnock and Ross County. On to the data, because even though guys not here, we're still all about that data. Possession, 45 to 55% in favour of Dundee United. Not really a surprise for those of us that were at the game and watched nothing but Dundee United possession in that second half. Total shots, 9 to 6 in favour of Aberdeen. Shots on target, 2 to 2. And expected goals of 1.18 for Aberdeen versus 0.32 for Dundee United. Graham, I mean, we'll go into the game in some more detail, but first of all, your initial thoughts on the result. Three points, so happy anytime we're picking up three points. I think overall, probably maybe about about right. I'm not actually sure any team, you know, really was sort of streets ahead. I mean, we... Uh, I guess we'll, we'll come on to it, but second half, we kind of invited United on. So, you know, it's demonstrated the fact that they had a lot of the ball 
which caused a few nervous moments. And in the first half, up to the penalty, we weren't looking that bad, but I wasn't really sure necessarily where the goal was going to come from. So, yeah, maybe, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's fair or not, does it? It's three points. Uh, much needed, given the farce that was the midweek, well, I was going to say performance. Oh, yeah. Effort at Livingston. And, you know, if the season's going to sort of continue where we're generally speaking winning at home, if we could just turn around that away form a little bit, pick up the, you know, a few different results to what we've had in the, the first few games, you know, it might might not be too bad a season, actually. Yeah, I mean, to um, reveal some of the magic for the listeners, Gary prepared the notes on the match review. I think he's being very um, generous or flippant in saying that was a deserved lead for Aberdeen at halftime. I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I think it was a pretty, quite a nothing first half in many ways, and there was very little in the way of clear-cut chances for either side off the top of my head. Um, Duke probably should have done better with that lobbed finish. The kid had more time than he realized. Um, thankfully, we get that little breakaway and Birigetti is makes a pretty rash decision, brings Duke down and we get that goal. I think Jim Goodwin compared it in the post-match to the Hibs fixture where not a lot between the sides in the first half and then we get that little bit of fortune um, to win the penalty. Uh, Miofsky does very well, of course, but we'll come on to Boyan in a minute. Let's go through the game in in some detail. So first things first, the the changes in the starting 11. Uh, the wing backs both replaced um, Hayden Coulson and Matty Kennedy coming in for Jack McKenzie and Jaden Richardson, respectively. Any surprise for yourself with those changes? Probably not. But I suppose maybe the surprise would be that he did actually change out Richardson, who I think has come in for probably some increasing criticism over the last few games and it's kind of difficult in my opinion to really argue against a lot of the criticism yeah um so you know there's there's plenty of time for it to you know for him to come good or we make some tweaks i think we've said on more than one episode where we we just commit to him being an attacker or a defender i feel like rather than this sort of hybrid because he he's not doing any of them those roles particularly well at the moment in my opinion i think kennedy coming in i just that right-hand side didn't feel as nerve-wracking as it maybe usually is. And it didn't feel like the opposition had singled that side out like mm-hmm. I feel they have in the past. So it felt like we were a little bit more solid there. I mean, Kennedy, I'm still not totally convinced by him, but he puts in a, a decent shift and he does have an attacking threat. So it's not like um, Kennedy being, being selected makes me think, uh, probably just makes me think, Okay, we'll maybe be a little bit stuffier, but actually, that's not a bad thing. We've been not what I was expecting from Jimmy <laughs> Goodwin. We've been pretty wide open, which admittedly has led to some exciting matches. But at, at times, I've actually been craving a little bit more of the, I don't know what you'd call it, pragmatism or stuffiness of a McInnes team where we still had an attacking threat, but I wasn't nervous anytime the opposition picked up the ball in the final third. So I thought he did I thought he did well actually overall. And I think that change was probably required, to be honest. It surprised me a little because I think it was in midweek. It might have been before or after Livingston, I can't quite remember. Jim Goodwin spoke um directly about Jaden Richardson and made it clear that he's got still got a lot of faith in him and he's gonna be, as you say, he's a he's a project player, um, a young guy. Not a huge wealth of experience. Um, he is obviously someone they see a lot of value in and they're going to continue working with him. Um, I don't know if that was to maybe quell some 
rumors or fears about the the lad Cogley that would have been there's chat that we're interested in again from uh, from Tranmere Rovers, but I think it was um, I've been in favour for a few weeks now taking Jane Richardson out of the firing line and as you say Matty Kennedy. I mean, it's not the ideal setup, but you know what you're going to get from Matty Kennedy and it is a lot of endeavour. Someone who is going to get up and down the lines and he might not be the best defender, but he's going to he's going to put in one hell of a shift. And I think Matty Kennedy, as reflected in the post match Twitter chat. I think he put in a very good shift that he can be pretty proud of. I think he probably could have done better at the very end to, to seal the game, but Definitely. maybe a weaker foot, you know, brush the blood to the head. These things tend to happen. And on the opposite flank, Hayden Coulson comes in for Jack McKenzie. For my money, a massive, massive upgrade on, on Jack McKenzie. I suspect Hayden was taken out of the Livingston game because of the, the surface at the Tony Macaroni. Still frustrating that he's put in good performances, but 75 minutes in, he needs to be taken off because he's running on empty. Um, that's been, I'd be amazed to know how many games Hayden Colson's actually seen out this campaign so far. It can't be more than a few. Um, but what was your take on, on Hayden's performances? And I guess also that concern about looking forward rest of the season or maybe even beyond that, if we can maybe turn this into a permanent transfer the concerns over his fitness and his his stamina, I guess. Yeah, I'll maybe just come on to that. I think overall in the game, I thought he did quite well. Like I, I like, I quite like him. I still, I've not seen that much of him because he's missed quite a few games. But I think like he's he's obviously got good pace. He's quite, he's actually quite a good footballer. A yeah. bit better than I imagined he might be for someone in that position. There were a few times where, not just on Saturday, but in other games where actually gets into that final third and he's quite. You know, his link-up play is actually quite good, or he's quite good at taking the man on and getting past him with a bit of skill as well as his pace. So quite enjoyed him from that point of view. I think he's pretty good defensively. He seems a little bit more, you know, not to sort of single out Richardson, but obviously make natural comparisons because they're on the same position, opposite sides of the pitch. He seems more switched on and aware of almost like when to go or when, if he's going forward and he's played the ball can he continue an overlap or does he need to be mindful that when no one's really filling in for him? So he just seems to have a better feel for when he should be bombing on or when he should be thinking about sort of doing his doing his defensive job. So I thought he did quite well. I share your concerns. It was a bit it was a bit disappointing to see him just sort of run out of steam. And I don't know. I know he has missed a bit of or a few gambling games with injuries if it's just coming back and finding that full fitness. So that's something to watch out for because you you just really want, I mean, you'd expect him to be able to play nine mm-hmm. basically. So keep keep an eye on that. But overall, I thought he did reasonably well. I quite like what I've seen of him. So it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, can be done in terms of a deal. I mean, I suppose since he came here, Middlesbrough changed out their manager, haven't they? Yeah, that's uh, Michael Carrick's note in place of... Yeah, so... Can't exactly remember who their last manager was, but yeah. I forget. But so I, I, mean, I don't know if that means they might want to recall him in January. I might just take the view that was basically like a contract. You know, if the team's going well, forget about him. And that might help our case. I'm not too sure. We'll need to see what happens there because I'm quite enjoying what I've seen of him so far. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we as um, Norwich City supporters on the side of Aberdeen, uh, keep an eye on what's happening with the Canaries and, you know, as you say, um, Woodgate's gone and Woodgate, Woodgate's had his chance. He's he's out of Middlesbrough now. Hayden Coulson, um, 
Michael Carrick, sorry, getting this all mixed up. Michael Carrick's gone in there and he has shown um, a lot of faith in, in the young players. Hayden Coulson, of course, he's he would be 24 now. So maybe one of those where it's like the time is gone for him to make his... Um, make an impression at Middlesbrough, but you never know what Michael Carrick might see in, in what he's doing at Aberdeen. It's worth remembering that I think, I think he came in quite late on in the summer. I think he came after our training camps and when we we're back playing um, football, Mason Hancock played most of the League Cup group games and then mm. I want to say Jack McKenzie came in for the league or no, like Liam Scales, Celtic. I'm going back all the way to Celtic. Liam Scales yep. dropped out and I can't exactly remember what sort of shape we ended up playing that day, but it was... It wasn't pretty. We are in the during this break for the World Cup. We are headed to Atlanta. Uh, hopefully, just a little bit of time to work on things like stamina, fitness, conditioning. Hopefully, that'll be beneficial for Hayden Colson, and we can just yeah really get him up to speed for when we come back in in December, December seventeenth, I believe is the next game for Aberdeen. That sounds about right. Yes. No. So. Uh, the eighteenth of December is the World Cup final, I think. Oh, is it? Let's have a look here. Yeah, I think it is. But I have been wrong before. What's your take on the World Cup, by the way? Gary and I had a little chat about this last week. We... Yes, yeah, Sunday the 18th of December is the World Cup final. Let's see what the uh, old AFC.co.uk is saying fixture-wise. But then I do have us home against Celtic on the 17th. I've got us home against Celtic on the 17th of December. Unlikely any Celtic players are going to be massively affected by that. Well, I kind of hope they all are. I don't think there's too many Celtic players going away, actually. Only the boy Maeda is going in for Japan. And... Yeah, I don't know. It just seems odd that your league resumes for the World Cup still going. Because when you said the 17th, I thought, I've got that in my head. Yeah. And it just dawned on me that I'm pretty sure they're finals the next day. So, oh well, that's by the by. Um, World Cup. I don't know. It just seems really odd to be getting into World Cup now. I mean, it should be barbecues and beers and you know <laughs> having people around or going to a beer garden it shouldn't be in November and then the final the week before Christmas it all seems I can't quite get my head around all of that what I will say is most of the kickoff times are actually pretty favourable being based in the UK oh really well yeah, yeah I guess so. generally like one four and seven or something like that so you know um, obviously I certainly won't be watching them when I'm at work but obviously, obviously yeah get home and have them on might have to work from home a bit more during the world cup i mean um, all, all the all the controversy all the human rights abuses and all that it's worth it when you find out there's that kind of convenience in it isn't it well exactly that, that's what it's all about um yeah it, it's an odd one and it also seems slightly wild to have given it to a country that, that that's then got to build like all of the stadiums and infrastructure i mean i get there's a world cup and it's shared i don't know it just seems probably more so now in the current sort of world climate that we find ourselves where everything's on fire. It's quite an obscene <laughs> expenditure for a country to build a bunch of stadiums that probably just sit there empty afterwards. So it all just seems a little bit crazy the way things have panned out since it was awarded to where we find ourselves now. When you say everything's on fire, are you talking literally or metaphorically? <sighs> probably every sort of sense you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's, I... it's an odd time at the moment and having a World Cup probably out there just seems a little bit odd that yeah. that being said it doesn't really matter who you award it to um everyone's got got some some good points and some bad points about them this is very fair yeah i i've always felt for the longest time like something will happen a decision will be taken 
and it's just, it, it won't be out there. And even up until like the summer, I kept thinking, you know what, like they're not going to have it in the desert. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Never mind all the the background noise and all the stuff that's gone with the the way that the tournament was won and everything else that's gone on. But it's happening. Um, I think, like I said last week, I'll probably be watching it because it is the is the grandest stage of them all when it comes to the old soccer. And hopefully, in terms of football, it's like the Euros was because the Euros were great. Um, you want to talk about bad luck, by the way. There's bad luck and then there's drawing Switzerland in your World Cup work sweepstake. This guy right here. Yeah, that 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 money's gone. Yeah. No, 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 no. Jordan Shakiri's going to bring it home for me. Got every faith in the world. Okay. Back to the back to the real football, though. Um, Dundee United. Were you surprised to see us stick with three at the back, given how bad, to be fair, all three of our centre backs were against Livingston? And to be fair, it did look better when we switched to a back four at the Tony Mac with Ross McCrory dropping it. Were you surprised, I guess, to see first of all, I'll stick with the same formation and for Ross McCrory to retain his place. Sticking with the same formation, I don't know if I'd say I was surprised because it just kind of feels like that's, you know, whether we stumbled into that, that we've touched on that before through injuries or, or whatever, but it seems like that is what he's going for now because I feel like we've had players coming back that he could have reverted to how we'd started the season, for example. So he seems to have made a conscious decision to stick with that. In terms of McCrory, I probably am. I mean, this is like a total... 180 from the start of the season. I probably am a bit surprised because it just seems to have gone off the boil. Like, I mean, he's like, take Saturday as an example. He was, you know, he had moments where it's what you'd expect, where he's quick, he's strong, he's powerful, he reads the game. And then there's other moments where he's just missing clearances in the box and he's just not where he should be. And you think, what the hell's going on? Because he mm-hmm. was the start of the season solid. And you think back to the shambles of last season, he was one of the few that, generally speaking, came away with pass marks not just you know game by game but over the course of the season so I think his standards have dropped so I am a little bit surprised but then it, you know who, who do you bring in if you if you don't have them so you're in this sort of difficult position as Aberdeen if you're lucky you'll get a decent 11 but you're not going to have a bench full of guys that are equally capable because you just don't have the budget for it I guess the only option you can do or you have if you drop McCrory out of the Aberdeen team from a back three would be to switch it back into a more like a four-two-three-one, four-three-three setup, and maybe get a Bajawin or a Ryan Duncan or whoever it might be to fill in a different position. I like you. I, I, I think if he had been dropped, it would have been you know deserved, and I don't think he'd have had much room for complaint. But I think Jim Goodwin is clearly someone who rates Ross, Ross McCrory very highly, and. As far as the shape goes, I mean, we changed from a back four to a back three with the two wing backs directly as a result of the scudding we took off Dundee United at Tanadice playing that back four. So it didn't surprise me at all that we kept the shape um, given the opposition. And all in all, you'd have to say that the back three was probably the right way to go yesterday. I mean, it allowed us to nullify for the most part, you know, maybe not so much the last 20 minutes or so, but for the most part, it took away the threat from United's wing backs and and then either players going into any wide positions, which is what causes massive problems um at Tanadice. Gary has kindly provided us with the average position map of the Aberdeen players, highlighting that our wing backs were playing 
incredibly high once more, both Colson and Matty Kennedy in the opposition half more often than not, than not really pushing back their, their full backs. It's a very bold move when it works. It looks great, but of course this is also the same system, the same setup that saw us get punished by by Rangers at Ibrox. What's what's your take on that position, Matt? To me, it still screams like a lot of problems. We see the huge gulf space between Anthony Stewart and Liam Scales there. And of course, you know, you've got Ramadani and Baron kind of congested in the middle. Maybe not a surprise given how competitive the midfield was. And then, yeah, you've got Kennedy and Coulson, pretty much the two closest players to Duke in terms of how advanced they were. Yeah, I did feel like we were, there were times where, you know, you, you look at your wing backs, but they are really quite far forward. And at times, I just felt like first half, Dundee United were just sort of strolling through the midfield or be able to pick a pass. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, a relatively straightforward diagonal or something like that. And it just cuts out. When we look at that map, you can kind of see that, how that would happen. Because if, if a defender picks it up and they were to ping basically towards Colson's side, there's just a great, great diagonal gap through our sort of uh, average uh, shape there where the defenders are way up, Scales is way up, Stewart's back, and the midfield, Baron, Ramadani, are basically tripping over each other in centre circle. And mm-hmm. there were quite a few times where I just felt like Dundee United were getting through us really quite easily. I know the, the sort of flip side is probably, you know, we were able to break quite quickly if we did turn the ball over. But I would like to have seen... I mean, sort of looking at that graphic, like personally, I would probably want to see basically Scales, McCrory, and Stewart playing a little bit more as a as a unit, mm-hmm. yeah. Rather than looks like a couple of guys gone rogue, and either Stewart Stewart probably holding what I would think should be more of that sort of position, uh, and I guess maybe a bit conscious that he doesn't really have the pace, so he probably does have to sit a little deeper. But just felt like at times they they could have played a little bit better as a unit, and even just. You know, Baron and Ramadani or Clarkson, even when you look at it, he's quite far forward. And again, okay, it's nice to see us set up to try and be attacking, but I just feel it felt at times it was, it was almost like Dundee United had an extra man in midfield. Yeah. They, they kind of did when you look at that map, actually, because Clarkson is playing really quite far forward. And at times, I felt like it was quite easy for Dundee United. To get us, and I can't quite. I guess it's maybe just the way the season's going to go. Like you said, when it works, it works quite well because you're, you've got quality players in the opposition's half and our final third. So if we win the ball, we can attack quickly, and we've got skillful players there. But if they're not tracking back, or it's not quite going our way, or the opposition have figured out that you can shut that down, then there's just basically a giant gap through the midfield, and then you're left with Anthony Stewart. I don't really want to. If he's heading the ball, great. If he's running with someone, not so much. Yeah, it's it's a game where I'm sort of thankful that we are playing up against a, a 35-year-old Stephen Fletcher rather than, I never thought I'd say something like this, but like a Tony Watt who really gave straight the runaround at Tannin. As you can imagine, if you know United are got a striker that can they can just ping balls over the top to, there's a ton of space for them to get into. And like you say, that kind of midfield left-centre area there is an enormous gap for United to exploit which I think you're right they did quite routinely find passes breaking them and breaking our lines and giving them opportunities to to run our defense I think Leighton Clarkson you know 
deserves a certain amount of credit. I think he pressed and certainly made himself like a focal point as far as our pressing game. But how effective that was, that's kind of the issue. It's all well and good people chasing opponents, but if it's, you know, leaving massive acres of space in behind, which then leaves your two center midfielders, Ramadan and Baron, to try and mop that up, it's, um, yeah, it's only going to go one way um, against better teams than than Dundee United. We've chatted about Ross McRae. Would you say it was an improved performance overall from him yesterday in comparison to, for me, he's been really, really off the boil since Tannadice, actually. He's definitely not the player he, he was at the start of the season or last season. I think of a few examples where balls come out of the box and he's just fresh air swipes mm-hmm. and it runs through to Dundee. I mean, I know, I think, okay, these things happen, but that's not normally what he's doing. Normally if the ball comes anywhere near him, he's dealing with that. He then, but then he had some good moments where he was quick and he's alert or he's making those runs out of the defence, which every time I see him do, I want him to be in the midfield making those runs <laughs> closer to the opposition's box. But maybe we're not going to win that that battle. I thought he was probably, yeah, he probably was better, but maybe maybe the break's coming at a good time for him, actually, considering he's played more often than not. Maybe just needs a, a little bit of time out to recharge his batteries because we all know we all know what he can play like and he has consistently been pretty good for Aberdeen. So it'd be good to see him get back to that level of performance. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think, I think their back three as a whole, I think actually our team, to be fair, when it came to when it mattered, we defended quite resolutely last um, on Saturday, um, particularly in comparison to how we've been, you know, in very recent games like Livingston or Rangers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we can go through most of the season and find some some shaky defensive performances. It's a bit of a break for us in terms of the type of home game. Like a lot of the home fixtures this season have been quite swashbuckling football, and we've been very entertained and seen a lot of goals from the Aberdeen side. But yesterday, we re- yeah, we really had to grind that result out. You know, we were camped quite deep in our in our penalty area, in our half. Dundee United enjoying the kind of possession that you expect, but probably wouldn't even tolerate um, if it's Aberdeen playing against either side of the old firm or a better side in Europe. But when it came to the crunch, we stood up to the challenges the United's uh, presenting us with I think our backline and everyone involved did pretty well but I think we have to give a special credit a shout out to our captain Anthony Stewart who like almost every other member of our squad this year has come in for his share of warranted criticism certainly but I think in Gary's mind on the way back uh, to the car after the game he was making out that it was Anthony Stewart's best game for Aberdeen so far in his uh, in his short career as a as a Don what was your view on the skipper's performance? I thought he probably was better. Like you said, maybe in a way, someone like Fletcher actually probably plays in Anthony Stewart's hands. I mean, Fletcher still had some really good touches. You obviously don't lose that. So you kind of have to be weighted. Like he's not going to run away from you. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that to worry about. You can go and sort of be, do the physical stuff with him. And I think that's where Stewart is better. It's better when he's just defending and it's winning headers or... Sort of putting people off their their game. He's obviously not really the most mobile. So if the opposition have a mobile forward, then and the you know go back to the sort of graphic, you really need Scales and or McCrory to be much closer so that they can sort of mop up when someone inevitably gets past him. I thought he had a decent game. I mean, he did lose Fletcher for that chance in the second half. Yeah, Fletcher's 
chance was quite difficult, um, but he did lose lose him for that, so it could have been worse. I think he did play quite well, and again, it's just finding a way where, whether it's the the system that we maybe have to adapt to the opposition, is you you just kind of want him in a position where he's up against someone, just doing actual defending and the physical stuff. He's quite solid from that point of view. Don't really want him getting run around, uh, and actually. I don't think you really want him with time of the ball either. No. Um, um, he's, fair. Not, he's not a great footballer. I mean, I've seen, don't know if it's a conscious tactic, but I think maybe when Hibs were doing it, we just sort of let him have the ball out of defence because he then just, well, more often than not, he's got this really weird way of, doesn't quite cut across the ball so it has a nice consistent flight. It's like it's lumpy. And the amount of times he just hits one of them to nobody or it runs out and you're like, come on. Um, so what he's basically, if he's just doing the, the physical stuff, I think he's pretty solid. And I think Saturday demonstrated that that was quite happy with his performance overall. I just had to check because I'm kind of staggered by this. Um, Tony Watt was on the bench for Dundee United on Saturday. I assume that he must have been carrying an injury where he was just basically filling a space on the bench because he was very, very good against um, Stuart at Tannadice especially. And like you say, Fletcher's, you know, I liked Fletcher as a player um, and I'm surprised by how little of an impact he's made at Dundee United so far. Um, but as far as a striker you want against Stuart, I think you're right. He is the kind of player you want up against him where it's going to be a guy who's going to take the ball into feet or a guy that's going to, you know, United put a lot of long balls up to Fletcher, which I don't think is his best game either. So... I'm not quite sure what their what their strategy was there, but yeah, as far as they did let um, Stuart have the ball a lot, which is what they did at Tannadice, and then that came the moment where they would trigger the press and everyone follows in and puts us under pressure. They were happy for us to have the ball last on Saturday, but there was none of that kind of really intense pressing all over the pitch that I saw, which I was quite surprised at, but surprised but also elated because. Uh, I don't think I could. Have, I don't think my heart could have taken another performance like uh, like we put in at Tannadice all those all those weeks ago. Um, Liam Scales, I think credit as well. I think maybe not quite the composed quality on the ball we became familiar with early in his spell, but as far as his job defending, pass marks for me. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. I think so. You said earlier actually. I I can't think of anyone. There's a couple of guys that maybe didn't play as well as I know they can play, but I can't think of anyone that was actually carried yeah. through that game. And you know, generally speaking, people did their jobs quite well. He's just another example of, of that. Yeah, his distribution probably wasn't what I know it can be, but still, we kept a clean sheet, so that kind of in itself means that people were doing a decent job. Speaking of people doing their jobs well, Kelrus, not his busiest night, not the busiest game of his career by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, a couple of pretty straightforward saves. Um, tipped over that shot from Ross Graham over the bar. Didn't have a lot to do, but when he was called upon, I thought he did his work very, very well. And that is another clean sheet under the belt for our Dutch goalkeeper, who I've checked, despite what Jim Goodwin said, he is not in the Dutch squad for the World Cup. <laughs> I, I, believe Jim, I believe Jim Goodwin said at one point that Kelrus could use his time at Aberdeen to force his way into the Dutch squad. Well, maybe not this tournament. Yeah, like I suppose it's it's probably the sign of a game going your way that you're like, oh yeah, the keeper didn't really have anything to do because you don't really want him to have anything to do, do you? He's bailing you out, you're in you're in trouble. Yeah, I can't really think of. I know the good save 
that you're thinking of. And, you know, it's fairly routine, but still you got to make them. A couple of, sort of crosses and or corners where he came out and punched a couple. I think, if I'm honest, I think Dundee United missed an opportunity, actually, uh, given that he doesn't generally come out. You can pin him in. You've got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get balls into the box, like the likes of Fletcher, for example, if they were to just sort of say, right, we're just putting balls into the box, more often than not, Roos isn't coming to get them. But yeah, I can't really think of anything he did on Saturday that I didn't like. And with the exception of that one save, pretty quiet because I can't think of anything where I thought, right, he's kept us in the game there. That was really good. It was probably one of his easier games. Yeah, I think that reflects Goodwin's um, comments after the game about how. United did have a lot of possession that we surrendered to them in the second half, especially. But, you know, you have to think long and hard about any real work that Kelris had to make. I think he has a, a really good punch from a cross in the first half. The save from Graham, um, a save from a Fletcher header, that's pretty, you'd definitely expect him to make. And beyond that, United weren't really able to cut us open at all. So, you know, for, for me, I mean, 4-0, 5-0 wins at home are, are great. But a 1-0 win... I'll take those as well. It's like clean sheets have been so been so rare as an Aberdeen fan the last uh, last eighteen months, two years. I've got the stats here that only uh, we can use as a comparison from where we are this year to where we were at this point in last season. That I'll share with you at the very end of this. But I mean, yeah, I think you probably agree as well. Maybe your uh, belief in in the results being the most important thing, and everyone appreciates a good old fashioned Sam Allardyce style victory. You know, one 0 win absolutely rock solid at the back that's as satisfying as like a 5-6-0 6-1 scudding yeah definitely but maybe more so away from home at home I'd probably go for the, the high score and away from home maybe get battered and then oh. a stadium emptier in, in the 90th minute or something like that let's let's not be too greedy no that's true it, important an important three points as they all are but mm-hmm. you know, I think we said at the start if the season's going to bounce along with picking up some points away from home, generally being solid at home, blip, but then pick up when at home again, we'll probably, you know, we'll probably be just about all right. Luis Lopez, Duke and Boyan Miofsky, they are truly blossoming into a great striking partnership. I mean, I can't think of the last time Aberdeen had a proper, you know, number nine, whatever the hell Duke is kind of striking partnership it's been a long time um since that's happened since since you know one up front became the kind of in vogue strategy i mean the play by miofsky on the ball to beat his men i think he beats two united defenders and then plays the ball in for duke and it comes down to duke's pace more than anything else that he's able to draw the foul from berigetti and gives us the chance to get that one goal lead i didn't think i don't think it was duke's best game um in recent months i think he there were times where there was balls we played over the top where maybe a few weeks ago he was he would burst onto that with his ex- explosive pace. I think maybe the sheer volume of footballs may caught up with him a little bit and the breaks come at a good time. But I mean, for yourself, I mean, what's your take on Miofsky and Duke and the way that they're linking up? I think it's going really rather well. They're like a like a sitcom odd couple, aren't they? You know, it's a classic recipe where, you know, one's One's quiet and reserved, and the other one's just all over the place. And he's Duke, but it's working. It's working well. I like the fact. I mean, that that breakaway was just like great from Miofsky with a couple of bits of skill, but then just the the weight of the pass, the timing of the pass. Obviously, the fact that Duke's aware, keeps himself on side, all the rest of it, it was just really good. 
to watch the pair. I mean, that's not the first time that they've they've linked up well. I would agree. I felt a bit like Coulson took just sort of ran out of steam because especially oh. when you know we were saying on the way home, it was like 65, 70 minutes as if we just flicked a switch, which is basically like we're just going to defend our box for the remainder of the game. Uh, and the odd time where someone did make a run or there was a break or, you know, we were just almost like percentage hit into the channels. Normally you'd expect Duke to be all over that. It just, he just wasn't. So probably him getting a bit of a rest is not a bad thing because, yeah, it wasn't one of his best games. Having said that, first half more so, still some of the the runs and the touches and bits and pieces I'm really enjoying watching. I know there's that sense of, did he mean that? Does he know what he's going to do next? But I don't really <laughs> care because what I'm enjoying is there's that element to it, but we are getting results. I mean, he has chipped in with goals. He's got assists. He's got penalties just with the pace that he's got. I yep. mean, pace just causes trouble. doesn't matter how good a player is. If, you, if you're up against someone like that, and he's really, really strong as well. And there was a couple of moments in the first half where the ball, it's almost like rolled into him, but he, he gets himself in front of his man and just, you know, sort of sticks his arm out, holds yep. the guy up as he waits for the ball to come to him, and then he can lay it off, or Duke being Duke will do something that no one was expecting before you know it, he's away with the ball. So really enjoying watching him. But I would agree, he's maybe not his best game. Same with Mielski, I thought he was maybe a little quiet. Like, I know his goal tally is really impressive, and I'm not belittling the fact that I chunk him with penalties because you've still got to put them away. But I felt maybe from open play wasn't quite uh, other than the you know sort of breakaway and the assist for the, the penalty I'm not, I'm not sure it was necessarily his finest game either I tend to agree there i love the idea of these two being an odd couple sitcom by the way i can imagine like miofsky being that guy that's like really into opera and classical and dukes in the background with his like jazz punk rock just like or comes in 2am and puts scooter on or something like that at full volume Ex- exactly um what's what's that what was the name of that song again? The B ba 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 da ba. Oh, Scamman John. Ba, ba, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like in one room, you yeah. know, Miofsky's got Schubert on, and then from the background, B ba 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 da ba. They, ba, ba, yeah, ba, ba, ba. they are. Uh, they do certainly on the pitch. They're quite different, but I'm really enjoying it, and actually is working for us because they both chipped in with goals, and so I think probably created opportunities for. For each other as well. So, I mean, it's, I feel like it's been, well, it's been a long time since we've had regular goal scorers and guys that you sort of confident when they get the ball, especially in the box, they're yeah. going to score. But to have the two that can kind of play differently and complement each other, that that's really really good. So, yeah, enjoying watching them so far. The penalty is awarded, perhaps to certainly to my surprise. Anyway, Boyan Miofsky is given the is given the ball places it down, and he slots the ball quite emphatically into the left-side corner to the keeper's right, um, sending Birigetti the wrong way. Got to be a massive confidence boost for him off the back of missing that penalty at uh, the Tony Macaroni, which was at such a pivotal time in the game. I think it says a lot about the character of Boyanovsky, the belief he's got in himself, also the belief that the manager has in him, as well as his own teammates. A very, very good penalty. Were you surprised to see him step up and maybe not Duke? Maybe a little bit, because he also had his, his first penalty saved by Marshall against Hibbs until it was retaken. Yes. And that was a pretty poor penalty. He just sort of trundled it down the middle and Marshall's feet caught it. So 
I maybe was a little bit surprised, but I think it is the right thing because if what you're basically saying is someone makes one mistake, that's it, you don't trust them. It doesn't really, you know, that's not mm-hmm. a great feeling or a good message. And as much as it's annoying, penalties will be missed. Uh, and what better way to to sort of just put that behind you is to put the next one you get in the, in the back of the net. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. I think it probably, well, obviously was the right call to stick with him. Um, and that says quite a lot about Mielski, you know, whether, I guess, at that level, you've obviously got the ability. It's just making sure that the last penalty doesn't play in your mind. Uh, and obviously didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, pleased for him. Good finish. And obviously just sort of reinforces that he is the number one penalty taker. That makes it 12 goals this season for Miofsky so far, 11 of which have come at Pitodri. There has been a little bit of chat, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there's been a bit of chat online that Stade de Rime in France are potentially lining up a £4 million offer for our Macedonian superstar. If you were Dave Cormack or Jim Goodwin and the French club were to come in with that kind of figure, what would you do? Mm, I don't know. I feel like if we've got any ambitions as a club, you'd say thanks, but no thanks, and then you would get to the summer and see what's going to happen. Yeah. If you're selling off your top scorer at the midway point, I'm not sure that's really a great statement of intent, is it? I think it's it's a hard one because if they were coming with, let's just say, four million, let's say that's the, the fee... That would represent about a three and a half million pound profit on the player within the space of five, six months. Um, that is seemingly the kind of business model that Aberdeen are, are going for as far as tapping into these markets like Hungary, where obviously we got Miofsky from, uh, bringing them in for money that being smarter, being more aggressive, getting these players in to uh, Aberdeen into Scottish football at a cheaper rate than an equivalent perhaps within like the UK. And then, of course, selling them on, making that big profit, and then reinvesting that back in the squad. But I tend to agree that, because I think Miofsky, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he must have signed a three-year deal in the summer when he signed up. I think it must have been at least that. I mean, we we invested quite heavily financially, I think, and from a contract, but, you know, as in salary for a number of years. So I know that's the business model, but if he continues on like he's going to, if he, you know, I know it's all this was maybe's, but if you if you take his form now and you could extrapolate that, he's going to be worth more. It was a four-year deal. Milski signed in the summer. Yeah, so so he's got three and a half years left on his deal. Um, it would be hard. I mean, if they were to raise that fee figure to five six, then you maybe just have to look at it and say, in the long term interest of the club, that might be the best thing to do. If there was any truth in those kind of numbers, and it was upfront. No dicking about over years or yeah. quality. I mean, if someone just said here is five million pounds in the bank now, I still don't think it's a very good statement of intent from your point of view of what you want to accomplish in the league. But bigger picture, the way things are going with cost of everything, stadium finance, yep. you probably you probably just have to say this opportunity doesn't come along. Every day of the week, not all of your signings are going to work out. So when they do, I guess if that whole model is to get them in and sell them at some point, if the some point has arrived a season earlier than you maybe thought it would be, well, it has arrived. So you, maybe you do just have to to take it. And hopefully, you know, if you can unearth one, you've got your eye on the next one, and then you've got the you know, you've got the cash to go and get after it. So I guess you probably would have to look at the bigger picture 
probably the club being around is more important in the you know in the, in the grand scheme of things than where we might finish up at the end of this season. This is just where we have to hope for that big chunky twenty five percent selling clause in Lewis Ferguson's contract, and when Juventus sign him for forty million in in January, we can just bank that cash and tell any potential suitors for our current players, not nah, not today, buddies. Because <laughs> um, my hesitation would be like I could see why the the business would make great sense from a financial perspective, but January is such a difficult market to work in. You're never going to get an adequate like-for-like replacement because he'll probably be a star player at his current club. And if you do get them, it's going to be at an inflated price. That just doesn't represent the kind of value that you could get them for in the summer. Um, so, yeah, I would tend to agree that we maybe, like we have with Scott McKenna and uh, Lewis Ferguson in the past, we just have to dig our heels in a bit. And if Miofsky carries on at the rate he's scoring through the entire season, I think you could easily be looking at upwards of four or five, six million pounds quite comfortably um, given the length of contract we have him tied down to. And it doesn't seem like there's any kind of desire from him or any of his teammates to to leave Aberdeen in any kind of rush. So I guess on that kind of rumor, we'll see what happens for once, Grib. In maybe the first time in 71 episodes of recording, all the results went our way on Saturday. We were in Siberia, drinking our delicious iron brew shots, watching, um, it's not Sports Sound, is it? What's the name of the programme? Sports Scene. Sports Scene. Watching the results come in. Watching the results come in on um, Scottish version of Gillette Soccer Saturday. And, you know, Hearts get the late equalising against Livingston. Hibs lose. Uh, St. Johnston dropped points. St. Menon dropped points. Everything went our way. When that happens, we fuck up. But on this occasion, for the first time, as I say, in 71 weeks, how many times last year did we say on this show, L, all the results went our way and we fucked up? I feel like it was a period of about two months running where that was that was the starting that was, oh, if only we'd done this because everyone else did what they were supposed to do, which was make a mess of it. So, yeah, the three points in isolation, always important, but in the grand scheme of things, like you're saying, with pretty much if you could have picked the scores you wanted, you probably have ended up with just about the way it played out. So for us to then actually do our bit uh, was crucial. So a really good, really good Saturday all round, actually. Yeah, I think that if Duke scores um, his opportunity after the Miofsky penalty, we could go on and potentially put a few past United. But all said, the result was the most important thing. We come away with a 1-0 victory. It does guarantee us third place now that we've broken for the World Cup. Next week, we're going to start our pretty comprehensive review of the season so far but just to summarize we are now up to third in the league cleared in that spot five points ahead of Hibs and Hearts well five points ahead of Hibs four points ahead of Hearts for a side that is still developing um a question of what could have been but to be honest as I said at the game I hate this kind of chat because right now there's Rangers fans currently saying well if we just want all of our games 5-0 then we'd be top of the league and on on course for a record goal difference so is what it is the results have happened it's all there definitely a lot of work to be done but so far what's your kind of very quick brief assessment of the season so far i've definitely been absolutely raging at points some of those performances and results have been totally unacceptable in my opinion but it just shouldn't yep. be happening but as i'm sure if 
Goodrum was sat next to me, he'd probably say, well, I don't disagree, but cup semi-final, third, you know, yes, there were you know opportunities of missed passes by, but that happens for everyone and happens every year. So overall, new manager, new team, probably getting greedy if I wanted more, haven't I? Let me hit you with some stats. 29 goals scored so far this season. So in 15 games, we scored 41 goals in total last season in the league. I didn't think it was that high. There are a lot of things in this I didn't think <laughs> that high. Eight league wins in 15. We won 10 league games all in last season. Home form, six wins and one loss last season. At this point, after 15 games, three wins, one draw and three defeats on the road. This is where things just get a little bit too eerily similar for my liking. Two away wins, one draw, five defeats so far this season. Last season, one win, two draws and five defeats. At this point last year, we had scored 15 goals in 15 games. And I imagine Ramirez has got a pretty healthy chunk of that. Yeah, because we'd have been, we, well, we would have been in bother yeah. without him. Um, so I think you can kind of tell that, as I said, I think I said that Miofsky scored 12 so far. So goals are being spread out quite nicely this year in comparison. After 15 games last year, we were sitting in eighth place and it doesn't get any better than sixth after that. And finally, we had, so this, this season so far, we've conceded 23 goals in 15. Last year, we had conceded 21 in 15. So an interesting one. You'd kind of obviously put that down to there's been a few more thrashings, a few more scuddings we've taken this year in comparison, whereas last year we were kind of losing games by a goal, two goals, three goals, um, whilst being able to kind of score. We kept two clean sheets at this point last year. We've kept four so far. And we kept six clean sheets in total last season. Now that is more than I thought there would be. Yep. Two of them coming um, under Jim Goodwin as well. That's worth noting. So I think I would tend to agree. I think there's still a lot to be done. But as I kind of said to Gary um, a week ago, or episode 16, I think it was, if we were looking at things and seeing no measurable improvements, you know, we have become a much better team at home. We are scoring a lot more goals. That's almost almost double the number of goals we scored in comparison to last year. Um, The away form is still, as you say, deeply unacceptable and we're conceding probably still too many. But I think you're right. I think there was a huge, and people need to just kind of contextualize things. There was a huge overhaul in terms of the squad um, in the summer. A lot of players coming in who had no prior experience of Scottish football or in some cases even playing in Britain. So, uh, that being said, semi-final, third place, with more to be done, and hopefully some support incoming for the manager in January from the board to iron out some of the deficiencies that we've seen. I think we're on course for what could be a pretty successful season, uh, maybe more so than a lot of us expected. Yeah, it's better than I thought it might be. Uh, there's a lot to be positive about, I suppose, where we find ourselves in the league. Uh, it's all ifs, buts and maybes, but clearly if you can continue that home form and just convert a couple of those away results, you know, start picking up some more points in the road. You've got a bit of a head start over Hearts, Hibs, who you'd mm-hmm. probably expect to be competing with. I'm not, well, maybe Livy will stay the course. It's, it's yeah. become a little bit too easy to say, oh, they wouldn't, they'll drop back. But they've, you know, they are there or thereabouts. But 
over if you look at where your sort of competitors are or the the teams with the bigger resources maybe come that January window, Hearts and Hibs are the ones I'm thinking of. You've you know you got a bit of a buffer over them, so that's a pretty good place to be. Well, I mean, Hibs are sinking like a stone, but you'd expect in January Hearts will strengthen and they will no longer have that you know dilemma of the Thursday weekend, but Thursday weekend. Just yeah, I think uh, that will probably help their form but mm-hmm. you know if it does fine like I say we've got a bit of a cushion over them so you know I guess as you get towards the end of the season you won't be in that position where you've got almost the games in hand over them you know you've got yeah. them twice but you're seven points ahead so that sort of scenario so yeah there's there's definitely room for improvement but I will be honest it's better than I thought it was going to be it's actually been more enjoyable you know aside from some of the crazy results like a home like you said all the goals and that it's not what I thought I was going to get from a good win side. So actually, so far, certainly the home games have actually been quite enjoyable, quite exciting, some of them. That's that's the big thing for me, because, I mean, last year, I mean, going to Pataudry, it was tear your eyes out. All kinds of boring. Um, I felt probably more disconnected with the football club than I ever have in, in my time supporting the team. And it's probably <laughs> this endeavour that kept me kept me hanging on by a thread. Um, it has Pitodri's become certainly a much more enjoyable uh, place to be. Don't get me wrong. When I was at Tanadice watching the debacle that was unfolding before my eyes, I was raging. Um, and there's been some defeats that aren't up to the kind of level I expect from from Aberdeen. But I think we always we just have to remember where we're coming from as far as this um, spell of recovery goes. And as we go into the World Cup. Um, taking this break for all the players to go off and play in the desert, which still just sounds mad. I think we're in relatively healthy shape. So looking forward to seeing what we can do when we come back and take to the field against Celtic on the 17th of December. Yes. Graham, lastly, Aberdeen, Dundee, your top gone. Um, I suppose we were chatting about him probably Stuart. You know, not it wasn't without fault. It wasn't a flawless game, but I think it just demonstrated that he's just a good, solid defender. I mean, he he did the sort of physical stuff that handled Fletcher reasonably well. Quite a few times, the balls were coming at the box. It was him. You know, that's that, that first man to clear it because he's sort of read where the ball was going to come in. But it was a pretty solid all round performance. So I'd probably pick him. It's it's another game much like Hibs and even like Park Thistle where it's. For me, there's no real individual standout. I thought it was just a pretty solid collective team performance. But despite what I was kind of maybe saying to Gary on the way back, I wasn't immediately sold on how well Anthony Short had played. But then when you kind of stop and think about it, yeah, he was pretty, pretty rock solid. And whenever United put a lot of balls into our box in that second half, especially, and it's one of them where no matter where they put it, no matter where Stuart is, to begin with, he seems to be the one that's getting his head onto it and making the clearances. So, I'll, you know what? I'm going to agree. Anthony Stewart, El Capitano, takes them top down for the final league game before the World Cup. News from Pataudry, Cormac Park this week. Graham, anything? No, the only thing I can find which came out on the 8th, what was that, Tuesday? which is worth having a little look uh, basically a report around what is called the socio-economic impact of Aberdeen FC's community trust. Uh, basically quite an interesting report on all the good work 
that the community trust does. So set aside what money it may or may not bring in. I would encourage people just to have a wee look through. There's a lot of stuff that the trust does. And think, you know, you think about, well, sort of last year with maybe coming out of lockdowns, bits and pieces, people have had got a lot to contend with. Uh, anything that gets people active, interacting, gets them some company, gets them out of the shell, is good. The community trust does a lot of really good work. So quite a good report, uh, basically, on on what they've accomplished over the last year that's that's worth a good a good reread. Other than that, it's been, you know, men's first team only, pretty much as far as I can see. So I don't think there's anything else of note that I can see. Can the good folks find that report on the afc.co.uk website? They certainly can if they click on news and then I think they will have to go to like the second sort of chunk of, you know, the, the second page. Uh, it is in there and definitely worth a read. I think sometimes people, I have certainly been guilty of this actually until we started doing the podcast. There's a lot of stuff the club does aside from just actually have, you know, football teams of different genders and ages. There's a lot of stuff that goes on outside, uh, which I think is important because to me, the club should be, any club should be for the community and benefit the community and the, you know, the sort of the city as a whole. So that's encouraging to see and long may that continue. Yep. Absolutely. Invaluable work that the trust do for the people of Aberdeen, the people of Aberdeen shirt. And that is, one of many reasons that we are very, very proud to support them through our sponsorship of this show. On to Lone Watch. Connor McLennan with St. Johnston. Oh, I always forget Connor McLennan. Still an Aberdeen player. Came off the bench for the last 14 minutes as St. Johnston drew 1-1 with Motherwell. Kieran Nguenya, another start and another 90 minutes for Nguenya as his Wraith Rovers side fell to a 2-0 defeat at Dens Park in the Championship. Mason Hancock, uh, an unused sub, as Arbroath drew 1-1 with Cove in the championship. Evan Towler, also an unused sub for Cove Rangers in the aforementioned draw with Arbroath. Tom Ritchie, a full 90 minutes, as Peterhead gained a respectable 1-1 draw with Airdrie in League One. Kevin and Ratty, an unused sub, as Forfer drew 1-1 with Bonnie Rig-Rose in League Two. And finally, Dean Campbell, came off the bench with 24 minutes remaining as big, bad Steve Evans, Stevenage side, beat Hartlepool United, once of Paul Hartley fame, 1-0 in League 2, down south with Stevenage remaining in second spot. No game this week for the young team back in action in the Cass Under-18 League on Friday away at Graham. Motherwell, of course, it's been a week or two since someone played Motherwell. <laughs> Also, no game this week for the Quines. They are back in action next Sunday with a visit to Graham. Random guess. Motherwell, by any chance? The Steel Woman it is in SWPL 1. And Graham, it's been pretty pretty fun, pretty easy. Don't know why Gary complains about it all the time. It's when you don't have the unruly pupil in the class. It's a piece exactly. of cake. Exactly. Happy to say that rounds off part one of the Abe's Ed Football Podcast Join us after the break for our interview with the one and only Alex DeRocco. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And yes, it's that time of the year where we need to talk about Christmas. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia Bar Hotel, who are offering area hire, 
buffet platters and a welcome drink for as little as £30 per person and it all kicks off from the 1st of November. Book early to avoid disappointment. Contact Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com That's Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com for more details. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our interview with Alex DiRocco, we just want to give a little shout out to those of you who have made contributions to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund this week. In particular, Mark Robertson and Skilp. I don't know if that's his real name or not. Well, regardless, extremely grateful. We still appreciate the contribution and we appreciate the contribution from all our regular monthly contributors. We see you. Your bread is appreciated. If you'd like to help us keep fueled in beers, coffees, iron brew shots, whatever it might be, head over to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. Link in the description. Buy us a beer or coffee. It is much appreciated. Graham, do you want to chat about the Fantasy League? I haven't checked my team for a couple of weeks, so this is going to be interesting let's have a little look how things are going very interesting let's see what did i have i had a whole eh, 56 points i have no idea if that's good bad or indifferent and i'm sitting in 128th 128th yeah it's okay that's about, that's about mid table in our uh in our league i think uh, that's maybe not too yeah that's maybe not too bad then i've had an okay-ish week um 42 points so i'm tied 75th place. I mean, that is entirely aided by Blaymiowski as captain and little to nothing else. <laughs> Anthony Stewart and Craig Gordon coming up with some points as well. Otherwise, a pretty uh, inept performance by my by my team in midweek. Bear sixty two points. Um, Jamie McGrath, Furuhashi, O'Reilly coming up big. So yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that I am the highest placed of the three of us in our league, but still way, way, way off the pace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another season goes by where I'm not going to be winning it. Let's have a little look at the leaderboard. In first place, at Graham Terry. Of course, he's got Tavernier. Of course, he's got Tavernier. <sighs> Unacceptable. Tartan Terriers with 979 points. In second place, it's Craig Dilla Fraser with Don's Redemption. And does he have any of them? Yes, he's got Tavernier. No one listens to the rules, Graham. It's really upsetting. And P. Young 2703, the Angry Bush with 964 points. Does he have him? Does he have him? Yes, he's got Tavernier. But he's not captained him. So, brownie points for that. And then I'm just having a little look through. The app is so unuser friendly, it's unreal. I'm going to just assume that Gary is somewhere at the bottom. Yeah. I see you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, but it's impossible to find individuals. Yeah. I don't know if anyone from the app listens, but make it last year's, please. Yeah, revert back to the uh, the beta setting. Or, or alternatively, show me how to work it. <laughs> it's entirely possible I've been too lazy to figure it out, but yeah, I don't know how 
I don't know how you find people the way you could last season. It was a little easier to navigate, in my opinion. I would tend to agree. But yeah, as it says, 964 points. That's where you need to be to get into the, the prize positions. Gary assures us he's working on prizes. Still don't know what they are, but I'm sure he's got something up his sleeve. If you want to be involved in the ABZFP Fantasy Football League, join us on the... You can find our link to our league in the main landing page, or you can use the code ABZFPL to join. Some great prizes up for grabs. More details to follow on that. I quote Gary Scott. And finally, I mean, Graham, we'll, we'll skip over the, the Gothenburg chat this week because Gary's not with us and he's continued to... Yeah, massive lazy bastard. Yeah, basically, he's not updated his spreadsheet in many, many, many weeks, which makes me think he's done nothing. And he's just like trying to come up with a reasonably good excuse as to why that's happened. What, what more is there to say? I mean, you're crushing it. Let's be honest about it. Yep, that, that's that's fair. That is accurate. You're crushing it. I've been deathly sick for about two weeks now, so I've not been crushing it. But we'll get back onto that. And um, and I don't know if Gary's maybe got his like Fitbit strapped up to his dog right now for next week too, which is a pretty bad idea because he's got quite a lazy dog as well. Yeah, that, that poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's good because he's quite far behind. I'm not sure you can... That, that's definitely a case of animal cruelty if he's trying to get Dougal to catch up his kilometers <laughs> that, is, that is a dog that does not enjoy walking all that far well, clearly neither does his owner and quickly regular listeners from now will know of our new feature my favorite game uh, our first guest was duncan shearer who talked us through the 2-0 victory over dundee united in the 94-95 campaign if i'm not mistaken we're going to get a mixture of fans ex-players managers etc onto the show to talk about their favorite Aberdeen game if you'd like to get involved hit us up on the twits dm us there or email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com with your game and why you've picked it this can be for any reason your first game something silly about it something sentimental whatever it might be and we want you know in different games we don't want Real Madrid in Gothenburg we don't want Bayern Munich at Pataudry water shy you know cup games cup finals that we win we we talk those games to death let's talk about something a little bit more out there i mean let's talk about why for example something comes to mind i mean maybe like maybe like a dense park 2-0 defeat when fergus tiernan dives to win a penalty off lee wilkie and david drillich hits the post before a left back who i'm sure was called tom <laughs> cowan spikes one in the top corner in a mo- moment that will never be recreated for the duration of his career after that. Maybe that's your favorite game for some reason. Come on, give us a shout and we'll get you on the show. But now, in the return of our regular feature of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present, we are delighted to bring you this chat with a man who signed on loan in November 2000 from Sedan. He went on to make 10 appearances in total in red, scoring three goals. It's the one and only Alex DeRocco. Alex DeRocco, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the show. How are you? Fine, very well. Very well. Uh, after three weeks and holidays, very well. Excellent. So just by way of explaining to our listeners as we go forward here, um, my French is not any good. And so because of that, we're gonna, we've got Alex's wife in the room to help us if there's any issues with translating my horrendous Scottish accent 
into something that Alex can understand the questions for and come back again. So hello to Mrs. Dorocco as well. Let's just get straight down to it. So you were born in December 1970 in yes. uh, Santi, which is located in the uh, northeastern part of France. Yes. Was football always your favourite kind of sport when you were when you were growing up as a child? Uh, my favourite sport was uh, only football. I played the football uh, every day, every morning, every afternoon. Since uh, five years old, it was only football for me. Love it. And who would have been your, who was your favourite team that you supported growing up and who would have been your favourite player to watch growing up, do you think? It's difficult to, to, to me to, to give you a resp- an answer because uh, when I was uh, young, I, uh, I'm watching only football on TV with uh, Platini, with uh, Liverpool, uh, with uh, Barcelona, the big club. And uh, I haven't uh, a, a only team. I like football and I like big team in football. Excellent. And um, who would have been your number one player to watch when you were growing up, do you think? Maradona, Platini, it was the best player. Was that who you modelled yourself on as a footballer growing up, do you think? Platini and Maradona? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know because I, I, I haven't her quality. Her quality. Uh, it was because it, uh, it's a... <laughs> it was a... Yeah, it, it wasn't a model for me. It was just good, very good player because I was too young and football, it was a a game and not a, a future vision. It was just a play for me. A game, excuse me. A game. That, let's look at your career. So um had spells initially in the kind of semi-professional ranks in France with the likes of SR saint ASPV Strasbourg, uh, SES Epinal, Amiens, and then you made the move in 1996 to Troy, um, which I think if I'm right, in our research, it was the first season that Troy had made it back to League Two. And so they were playing professional football again, the first time Troy had done that since 1979. For you, this is your first step into the proper professional ranks of football. Was this when you thought, I've got a really good chance now of actually making a career out of out of the sport? And it's not just a game anymore. So my first contract, my first professional contract was with the Pinala. Okay. And yeah, uh, I played two years with the Pinal, uh, and after I went to Amiens, but it was uh, yeah, uh, I'm injured the, the the first month, and uh, it was a bad a bad season for me, and I I go away uh, to try to to begin a new uh, to, to begin a new experience in mm-hmm. Trice. Uh, because Amiens was difficult for me, yeah. Ah, and uh, and uh, football was a business, a business, uh, or um, yeah, a business for me. Uh, when I signed my first contract with uh, Epinal in uh, 1993. So after one season with uh, Troyes, you make the move to Sedan, uh, where in your first season you help the club win promotion back to League Two before that's followed up the following season with a promotion to Ligue 1 and the top flight. So that must have been an incredible experience to be involved in, to go from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1 in two seasons. 
the four seasons with Sedan in uh, League Two, League One, uh, Intertoto, and uh, UEFA Cup was a big experience for me because it was a, a small club but with a big, uh, a big history. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was four years very, very fantastic for me and for us. And I, I, I think so. It was, it, it was my four big season in France because it was the biggest experience in France. Uh, we, every every year, every season, it was a victory. Mm-hmm. League two to 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 go to League One, League One to go to Intertoto, League One to go to UEFA. It was four uh, four seasons, very very lovely. And even more impressive, I guess, as well for Sedan at that time. Uh, you get to the final of the Coupe de France, which is the equivalent of the Scottish Cup. Here, uh, you're narrowly defeated by Nantes one nil in the final. You play the full ninety minutes of that mm-hmm. one in the Stade de France in front of 70,000 supporters. What can you remember about that game? It's strange because uh, because uh, a final must be win and uh, and we lost <laughs> this game. And uh, yeah, it, it was a when you when we lost we lost the game it was uh, difficult for us because uh, one to nil on the uh, on the penalty. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I have more uh, emotion when the Sudan team uh, play a new final uh, three or four years after, because I went the tribune, and uh, and, uh, and I uh, yeah I, I was in the public, and I uh, I, I saw the fantastic uh, public, fantastic uh, emotion, uh, fantastic. Uh, Fans of the club, and uh, I need I need this this two final to mm-hmm. uh, to to love and to realize the the final. And you you, you touched on it a second ago. Uh, Sedan's rise is is really impressive. You finish in seventh spot in that first season back in Ligue 1. Uh, that qualified you for European football. You talked about it in the Intertoto Cup. You get a goal in the away leg in a second round tie in Iceland as well. That must have been a a nice moment to get a first goal in European football. Yeah, yeah, it was my first goal in in Tertoto Cup. Yes, uh, it was a uh, it was a, a a big match with us because it was the first, and uh, we played in uh, Iceland, and uh, it's my uh, <laughs> uh, first time. Our only time in Iceland, and uh, yes, it was a, a big, um, a big memory for me. Let's we'll fast forward a little bit here. Um, November of two thousand, Aberdeen are struggling with a injury crisis, which is affecting our uh, striker options. And on the twelfth of November, it's announced that you'd signed on loan from Sudan until the end of the season, but with an option for the loan to be. Uh, terminated on the 3rd of January. Just um, can you explain to us, Alex, how did the move to Aberdeen uh, transpire? How did it come about? And did you need much persuasion from Eb Skovdal, who was the manager at the time, to make the move to Scotland? Uh, Aberdeen was a, a big club for me because uh, it's a club with uh, 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 an history. And uh, when my agent proposed me to to go to Aberdeen because it uh, 
it was uh, my at this moment uh, I have uh, 30 years old and I decided to go to in Scotland because I don't know Scotland football Scottish football yeah <laughs> Scottish football and uh, for me it was a new experience because uh, Sedan after four years it was a uh, it was time to me to to change Mm-hmm. And uh, the proposition to to go to Aberdeen, uh, like me, and my agent pushed me to to go in this club because he, I think so he he has a, a good relation with uh, with the club. What were when you arrived in Aberdeen for the first time? What were your initial impressions of the club and, and the city? For me, big club. With a big player, and uh, but I, I I arrived to the club in uh, in uh, winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not the big uh, the big moment the best moment to arrive in a in a club, and especially where uh, especially because uh, I undo a big preparation, and uh, I'm arrived in uh, Aberdeen with a a physique. Uh, a, we are not uh, very, very. We are not at maximum, mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, I must play quickly. Yeah? And but I, I wasn't. I'm, I'm, I'm not in form at this moment. And uh, every, every week, every week was better for me. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, the three or four months in four months in uh, Scotland were were very short. To, to recuperate my uh, physically, my, uh, my, my physically. There's no real opportunity for you to settle in because the same day that you sign, you are straight into the squad for the evening. We play Rangers at home. Now, these games have got tremendous atmospheres at, at Pataudry. Can you remember much about that game? You came off the bench with about 30 minutes to go, I think. But can you remember anything about the game or the atmosphere of that first that first game at Pataudry against Rangers? Well, the, the first the first uh, play with uh, with Aberdeen or my my the game with uh, Rangers? Yeah, they were the same, I think. Yeah, the first. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was my first time, first game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was specially because it's a it's a bit it's, it's special because it was a yeah it's. A big club, the second club of uh, Rangers and Celtic mm-hmm. uh, are two big clubs, and they get into the Rangers from it was especially, but uh, special, but uh, difficult to to give you uh, an emotion because it was too it's too early to to have an, an impression. But yeah. uh, I I have two big picture in my head. It was a game to against uh, Rangers and uh, Celtic because uh, the fan and uh, the atmosphere was uh, very very uh, hot. Yeah, hot's a very good way to describe it. <laughs> um, the following week, you start for the first time for Aberdeen, a two-no win at Hibernian. Um, but then I guess the following week is the one that most Aberdeen fans will really remember your time at Aberdeen for. It's a home match against Motherwell. Um, Motherwell go 
three goals to one up with about 20 minutes to go. And then a certain Alex DiRocco scores two goals in the last 11 minutes to get a 3-3 draw. What can you remember about that game, Alex, and I guess the goals as well? For me, every, every game uh, was a, an emo- a particular emotion because, um, uh, I say before, uh, it was um, uh, a new experience, a new club with uh, very uh, fantastic fans. And uh, we will be the, we be, we give the, the, the best. Uh, but uh, it, it was difficult to give the best when your when your your physique was not uh, ready yeah not quite there but every game for me was a a good game every game is a is a is a special game mm-hmm. and uh with with art of millions uh against every team of a scottish uh, league and uh for me to score two goals uh with a new team uh it was a, a good uh, beginning, but yeah, it, it was not enough for me. Okay. But but my physically don't permit me to 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 give more. Yeah. You're kind of in and out of the team for the next few weeks a little bit. Um, it's fair to say that the dressing room at Aberdeen at this time is probably not the happiest of places. There was a lot of people not happy with the manager. Um, Ian Jess, who's a club legend at Aberdeen, he's dropped at this point because he says he wants to leave. And at this same time, there are reports in the media um, coming out of France more than anywhere saying that you weren't going to stay at Aberdeen beyond that 3rd of January date. Um, There were some quotes saying that, you know, you felt the standard of football was too low, but you came out after that to say that you'd been misquoted that wasn't how you felt. But how did that make you feel when there are those reports coming out about you know what you think about the, the, the game in Scotland? I never see that because uh, yeah, I, I was outside of, uh, of, of the club and the politics of the club. Uh, I can say just um, uh, for me, it will be a, 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 good, a good experience. And I, um, it was logically for the club to to stop my contract because uh, we have finished uh, seventh if I remember mm-hmm. uh, and uh, to pay uh, to Sedan uh, a transfer it was uh, inutile too expensive or inutile for your on uh, another priority and uh, for me it was normal. And uh, but uh, it, I I love the city. I love the fan. I love the club. But uh, the football is uh, is a business. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a business. And uh, and I come back in France after this experience. Yeah, it's confirmed on the second of January um, that your loan move is going to be cancelled. You're going to return to Sedan the day before um, you'd actually played against um, Hearts a 1-0 win for Aberdeen you set up the only goal of the game uh, like you just touched on it's time though to go back to to Sedan were you were you I, I don't want to say upset but were you disappointed that the move to Scotland was going to be cut short so soon would you have liked to have stayed if it had been possible 
No, n no, because uh, uh, if the club proposed me uh, a new contract, yes, I accept uh, voluntary. But I, I understand the position of the club. Uh, I understand the position, the position of the the, the manager. Uh, it was normally for me. Uh, I was uh, normal. Uh, I, I, it, it was normal for me, and uh, because uh, it's difficult to a club to to, to pay for a, a player who had uh, 30 years old, mm -hmm. uh, because I think so, it was like 24, 25, it's different, but uh, it's difficult for a club to pay uh, a transfer, and uh, I, I, am, I was no sad or, or disappointed, uh, it's a life, it's life. It's football, isn't it? It's, it's football, it yes. Yeah. Um, so you move back to Sedan, but eventually you leave Sedan, um, joining French giants, uh, Saint-Étienne, for the 2001-2002 season. You score nine goals in 34 games for them before making the move to, uh, I'm going to get this horrendously wrong, is it, is it Cannes? Cannes? Cannes. Cannes. And after spells with uh, La Chapelle, that's when you decide to, to, to retire. So as a retired footballer, what does Alex Rocco do these days? Now I'm working for Space Life uh, Insurance, like uh, like three to two years, uh, because after after football I uh, I try to to do a football uh, trainer mm -hmm. uh, for two two seasons near Paris, uh, but uh, I haven't liked the mentality or the the. the the business model was the football business club uh, was not my uh, uh, ambition, a cup of tea. <laughs> cup my of tea. Ambition. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I um, I have a lot of uh, proposition to continue the football, but uh, I don't want. Uh, yeah, I do, I didn't want to move every time every year because the football, uh, when you are not professional, is a is a uh, it's different because you have no uh, no security, no life, <laughs> yeah. and I prefer to change. I prefer to go to to work with a, a, a an insurance society. We phoned me to to work with, uh, with with them. How does it feel to know that you are still remembered very fondly by Aberdeen fans who were watching you? Well, what is now twenty two years ago? Um, Despite the fact you only played 10 times for the club, how does that feel to know that there are still people who remember you playing for Aberdeen? <laughs> My English is bad. <laughs> no. well, it's a pleasure because uh, it's a small it's a small part of my football life, but uh, it was a good um, a good experience for me with a uh, with Scottish people, very interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I love Scottish people. I love Scottish Scottish football, and uh, yeah, it, it was a, a very good period for me. And uh, I have a good um, uh, emotion with uh, the, the Aberdeen fans. What What was going through your head when um, we managed to track down an email address for you? 
at Swiss and asked you to come and do this. I presume you couldn't have been expecting to see that at any point. After after 22 years in owner speaking English, it was very, very difficult for me to remember some words or some expression. Well, listen, we really appreciate the fact you responded to us. Um, you could have easily thought that was a virus email or a junk email or something. So like, we really appreciate that, Alex. Do you, I've got two two last questions for you and then we can we can wrap things up. Um, do you still keep an eye out now for how Aberdeen are, are doing? Do you, do you look for the Aberdeen results? Yes, on the uh, on internet with yeah. my phone. No every week, but uh, one time every month, yes. Excellent, good stuff. And um, in fact, I've got two more questions. Sorry, I said I had two. I've got two more now. Do you have any plans to come back to, to Scotland, come back to the city anytime soon? Would you like to come back and visit again? Uh, <laughs> I don't know because uh, never says it never. But uh, now no because uh, I have a I work I, I work a lot and uh, I have only three weeks in uh, every uh, every year. Okay, three weeks in holidays every year and uh, I take a lot of time for the family. And why not? Because I I, I know Aberdeen only in winter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I never seen Aberdeen in uh, in summer, and uh, maybe why not? There we go. There's a challenge. That's your that's next year's summer holidays sorted out <laughs> for you now. Um, listen, Alex, we'll we'll finish up here. One last question. It's the same question that we ask every single one of our guests when they come on the show, um, and I'm very intrigued to get an answer for this one. Actually, um, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Uh, uh, fan passion fans passion fans passion I love it Alex DeRocco it's been a pleasure to have you here on the ABZ Football Podcast alongside Mrs DeRocco we thank you as well for your time it was a pleasure to me too it's brilliant having you we really appreciate it I know that people are going to love this interview when it goes out um, like I said earlier on I, 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 I mean it genuinely there are so many people who remember your time at Aberdeen very fondly Um the ponytail and everything was brilliant. So he listen, doesn't have, he doesn't have it anymore. But he looks he looks younger now than he did then. So you know, all good. Alex Rocco, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Bye, Gary. Thanks. Graham, of course, Alex Rocco. That was a name that would have been just a little bit before your time supporting Aberdeen, wouldn't it? Yes, probably. Well, probably just about a season. Season too early. When was your first game again? It was that home game against Celtic. They beat them 2 0, was it? Two no, the snowball game, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, Winter scored a penalty and then Mackie charged down Rob Douglas, which I think might have been 2000. According, it was 2001. 2001, okay. 22nd of December 2001. So, yeah, about just a little bit before my time. Yeah, so yeah, Alex arrived just a calendar year before you made your mark on the Aberdeen sport. <laughs> Um, this is a guy who would not belong in the chat I had on, um, I think Friday night. Um, there was a, I can't remember what Twitter page it was, but they posted the uh, an image of Inter Milan strikers with the caption, no club's ever had a set of strikers like Inter Milan. And I interjected that some Aberdeen strikers of past would have something to say about that. What I learned from that is that Stevie May has got a lot of Twitter accounts he posts through. <laughs> I did not expect the kind of rampant defense of this man that came my way uh off the back of that pretty 
facetious post of mine, if I might say so. <laughs> Every day is a school day. Every day is a school day. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 72, where we will bring you part one of our season review to date. And we bring you part two of my favorite game as friend of the show, Martin Stone, joins us to talk about Aberdeen 3, Rangers 2 from August 2005. Ah, you remember that game now, don't you? We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!